Or if you don't have a Bible, uh, you, you'll be able to uh, find a Bible in the seat, uh, one of the seats ahead of you. If you could turn to Galatians chapter 5, and we are going to look at verses 15, or verses 13 through 26 this morning. Galatians 5, 13 to 26. We're going to begin our time in the word just by listening to God's word together, asking for God's spirit to to work through his word, and then seeing what God has to, to teach us through his word. To freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become envying one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your word would land on our hearts and that we would listen to it, not as merely words from men, but as words from God, and that we would joyfully respond to it. Father, for those who don't know Christ, I pray that this morning you would open up their heart to listen, to hear, and to believe in him. For those of us who have been saved by your grace and by your mercy, I pray that we would listen to your word as your children ought, with ready ears to, to listen to what our loving Father would have to teach us. Give us willing hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There, there are different views for what freedom is. Uh, one definition of freedom that I looked up was freedom what was uh, freedom from restraint. Freedom from restraint. For some people, that, that is what freedom is. It is no restraints, me living however I want according to my own desires. Now, start living like that. Start actually practicing that. Uh, no restraints. What do you end up with? If you live like that with your phone, 
no restraints, what are you going to be doing? Endless scrolling, you know, YouTube video after YouTube video, hours on hours. You, in your freedom to do whatever you want to with your phone, become a slave to your phone. If you do that with your food. You know, freedom to eat whenever and whatever I want, you begin to be a slave to your food and to your appetites. This is how, how our supposed freedom works. It ends up enslaving us. And th this is exactly what we find in Scripture of, of how um, our supposed freedom uh, functions. It actually enslaves us. Romans 6 talks about you are going to be someone's slave. You are either going to be a slave to your sin or you're going to be a slave to Christ. Those are your, those are your two options. Um, you, you may think that you're free in your sin, but you actually become a slave to it. But when you enslave yourself to Jesus and to his service, you actually become free. That's actually what real freedom is. So, so sin enslaves us. But Galatians also teaches us, Paul's letter to the, the church, the churches of Galatia, that self-righteousness enslaves us as well. Self-righteousness is a false gospel. Uh, and, and so how does Paul deal with that? So we're, we're jumping in toward the end of Galatians, but we need to get a lay of the land of what Galatians is briefly before we can make sense of what Paul is saying here toward the end of Galatians about Christian freedom. So uh, three points in today's message. The first, we're going to ask the question, what is gospel freedom? I'm going to look at three different passages. You're free to, you're free to uh, look at these passages. Galatians is only a few pages. Uh, but just to, to get a lay of the land and understanding what Paul is dealing with in the churches of Galatia. Galatians 2, 16, if you want to turn there. So Paul in Galatians is dealing with a false gospel that was confronting these churches. And this gospel was, was this. If you really want to belong to, to God, if you really want to belong to Christ, yes, you, you need Jesus, you need faith in Jesus, but you also need to keep the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, along with circumcision, which was the physical marker of the law of Moses. You need Jesus plus the law in order to truly belong to God, in order to be truly justified and righteous in God's eyes. So you need the law in some way or another in order to save you. Paul deals with that false gospel throughout Galatians. Galatians 2.16, he says this, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. How are you justified then? But through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Pretty plain, pretty simple. This is the good news. The false gospel is you're justified by your works. The good news is you're justified by Jesus, by faith in him, trust in him and his work on the cross. Galatians 3, 10 through 13, Paul continues this idea of those who are relying on the works of the law in order to be justified. He says this, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. 
So Paul's right there. If you want to rely on the works of the law, you've got to keep all of them. But you're a lawbreaker. And you break the law a lot, so you remain under the curse of God. You remain under the, under the condemnation of God because you think that you could be saved by keeping the law, but you're actually breaking it all the time. And it's condemning you. And he goes on in verse 11. Now, it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So we break the law. We deserve God's curse. We deserve God's condemnation. Jesus, however, took that upon himself on the cross so that when you trust in him and what he did there, the curse is no longer on you, but you know now that Christ has taken away that curse from you and upon himself and you are justified. And last of all, last passage, Galatians 5, 1 through 6. And here's where freedom enters this whole equation of, of what Paul is talking about and the law and justification. It says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, only faith working through Love. Slavery, according to Paul, is self-righteousness. You're, a sl you're in bondage to your sin, and you're in bondage to thinking that you can save yourself when you can't, and when in fact you're refusing the, the only way of salvation that God has offered to you through Christ. That is slavery. You're living in your condemnation. You're, you remain in your sin, but God says, I give you the righteousness of Christ. I give you forgiveness. I give you freedom from the curse of your sin all through Christ. So stop trusting in you to save you. You must be saved by another. And when you are saved by another, by Christ, that's when you are really and truly free. Gospel freedom is freedom from our sin. It's freedom from our self-righteousness. The question always seems to come up. And, the, and you see this, this, in, this question and dealing with this invariably comes up in the New Testament. So if your salvation is completely a free gift, which it is, and it's based on nothing you do, whether good or bad, why not live however you want? Why not sin if it won't take away your salvation? So Paul answers that question here. And so in our, our next two points, if you're taking notes, the gospel frees us to live a life of love and service, verses 13 to 15. 
Look, look at those verses again. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not your, use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out. So Paul says and warns them, you've been called to freedom in the gospel, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, this term flesh that Paul uses here is really important, especially for Paul. And he uses it in different ways, depending on the context is how you determine how he's using it. So sometimes Paul uses the term flesh to refer to this, flesh, uh, our, our, our physical body. Other times he uses it to refer to uh, being simply the state of being a human being. So uh, in 1 Timothy 3.16, Jesus, Paul says, was manifested in the flesh, means that Jesus became a human being. Uh, so those are basically neutral ways in which Paul uses the, uses the term flesh. But Paul also uses the term flesh in an overtly negative way, as he does here. So sometimes he uses it uh, as your physical flesh or being a human being. But here, as in other places, it describes human beings in opposition to God. The flesh is referring to those sinful desires that every human being has remaining within them. So as much as we would like this to be the case, and, and wouldn't this be amazing if this were the case, that the moment that you came to faith in Christ and were saved by Christ, all of your sinful desires were washed away, and you that for some reason God has not chosen to save us like that, though. God intends to transform us throughout this life. So, uh, I, I'm fairly certain for every one of us that the day you were saved, you sinned that day or the day after, maybe a lot still. And, and that's true for every one of us. Does that mean you really didn't get saved? No, it means you were saved, but you still have the flesh to deal with. You still have your sin to deal with. And, but from that point on, God is starting to eradicate that sin from your life. So when, you, when you're saved, you become a fundamentally different person than you were before in regard to your sin. You're no longer its slave. The Holy Spirit gives you a new heart. He gives you new desires. Yet, even with those, desi those new desires, you still have to contend with your old desires that are going to stay with you throughout the rest of your life. And you have to fight them. And the temptation is, though, and the, the lie of the devil is this. Hey, since your good works and your bad works have nothing to do with your standing with God, why not enjoy sin and then enjoy getting forgiven afterward and just keep doing that over and over again, okay? So God loves to forgive. I love to sin. It seems like a really good relationship. Um, you've fallen for it, haven't you? I know you have. I have, okay? We all fall for it. It's so stupid, but we fall for it. But gospel freedom, as we'll see, doesn't mean you have the freedom to do wrong. It means you, we have the freedom to actually now to do right. 
It's not freedom to disobey God, but freedom to obey God. And the way that we obey God in these verses here, 13 to 15, is, is that we begin to love and serve one another. So strangely enough, that, that word serve there actually means uh, it's the same word for slave. So Paul says your gospel freedom displays itself as you become a slave to other people and your love and your service to them. That's actually how you're free. That's, how, that's actually how you start to show your freedom in Christ as you love and serve the needs of others. See, here's what sin does. Sin causes us to be fundamentally lovers of self and worshipers of self. But when you're saved, the, the gospel changes you from sin, which turns you inward. The gospel turns us upward to love and worship God, and it turns us outward to love and serve our neighbor. If the Galatians fail, however, to, to live and love in that way, as verse 15 says, they'll end up biting and devouring each other. They, their church, in their churches, they'll end up eating each other alive because their failure to love one another. Now, let's, let's hit the pause button right here. Let's zoom the camera in to what Paul is saying about, goes on to say about love in this passage. Listen again to what he says in verse 14 about love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, that seems like a really important verse, right? The whole law is fulfilled in one word or one command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if you're a Bible highlighter person, you may want to highlight that one. If you're not, then you need to write it on the chalkboard 100 times, okay? Uh, you, need to, you need to get it into you. All right, this is really foundational, really important. Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor the commandments, the Ten Commandments, uh, there's two sections or two tables, as they're often called, to the Ten Commandments. The first four deal with our love for God. Commands like, you shall have no other gods before me, do not make any carved images, and so on. Commandments 5 through 10 all deal with your love for others, your relationships with others. So you shall not, uh, you shall honor your father and mother. Uh, you shall not murder, typically not loving someone when you do that. Um, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, and so on. So Paul is dealing here with that sec the whole second table of the law. All of those commands that deal with how you relate to other people and how you treat other people are summed up in the command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this really goes back to what Jesus says in Matthew 22 where he says the first greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. He says on these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. Colossians 3, 12 through 14, Paul gives this long list of virtues. And he says, above all of these virtues, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is the supreme Christian virtue that binds all the rest of them together. It enables you to live out all of the rest. 
And we're going to see in verse 22 when Paul gives the fruit of the Spirit, which one is listed first? Love. It's absolute, absolutely intentional that Paul lists love as the first fruit of the Spirit. So, do you realize what God has done to you if you're his child through the gospel and what he is doing in your life? One of the, one of the main things that God is always at work in, in his children is to make them more loving people. Why is that? Because God is love. That, that is who God is. That, that is his very character, his very nature. He is love. And, and Jesus calls us to love one another as he has loved us. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So this, this is really one of the fundamental truths of the New Testament and of the Bible. Those who have been loved by God begin to love like God. Those who have experienced God's love as a free gift begin to freely love others. So how are you doing with this command to love? What is your, kids, teenagers, what does your love for your parents look like? Or even adults. <laughs> what does your love for your parents look like? What does your love for your husband or your wife look like? What does your love for your church members look like? What does your love for the lost look like? In preparing for this message, and Pastor Mike mentioned this last week, you know, pastors, it's such a privilege to preach God's word, but you got to get beat up in your study before you could bring it out to anybody else. And, and, and I, I was faced with my own deficiency in these relationships, my own deficiencies in my love for others, compare, you know, how little I love compared to the massive, expansive, and sacrificial love that God has for me through Christ. But, that, but this is what God intends to be forming in me. So this has to be for me and for each of us an ongoing, year by year, day by day, moment by moment priority for me to love as God has loved me. So how is God calling you for the relationships that he's put in your life? How is God calling you to a deeper, truer love for each of them, a more sacrificial love for them, to lay down your rights, to lay down your needs, and to put their needs above your own? Gospel frees us to a life of love and service. But what, what actually enables selfish sinners to live a life of love and service? And the answer to that is the Holy Spirit, who is God's gift to all believers, who indwells, empowers, it dwells and empowers them to live out this kind of life. So our third, third point uh, is, is this, the gospel frees us to a life led by the Spirit. Here, here's an unfortunate reality for Bible-believing Christians who love the Bible, they love the gospel, 
But sometimes some of us can have a tendency to downplay the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So we're like Bible people. We love the Bible. We read the Bible. We study the Bible. But we hardly ever talk about the Holy Spirit. There's something wrong with that. I heard one, one, one pastor uh, once put it. You know, you would think for some Christians that for them the Trinity was Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Okay? That's not the Trinity. That's, that's a defunct Trinity. It is Father, Son, and and Holy Spirit. So Christians must be Bible people. We need to be saturated in, God, in God's word. We need to feed on God's word, but we must also be Holy Spirit people. And, and the way in which we are to be Holy Spirit people or Bible people is by being Holy Spirit people because the Bible teaches us that without the Holy Spirit, you stand no chance against your flesh. He is the one who makes all of the difference. With the Holy Spirit, you stand every chance against your flesh. But that, that victory over your sinful flesh doesn't mean that you just sit by idly and just watch the Holy Spirit to do all the work, to kind of let go and let God kind of thing. Um, it's not a Bible verse. Uh, it's not in there. It, it can be true in some instances, but not here. Okay, not with your sanctification. Um, uh, there, there was a... Um, Back in middle school, way back in that day, in that day, there was a, you guys ever have those like uh, motivational speakers who come to your middle school, you know, all, always really weird. Okay. Uh, this, this guy, we all gathered together in the gym there at the middle school. And uh, this man uh, was, was an athlete. He was a one person volleyball team. That guy ever come to your school? Okay. I, I'm sure he's, he made his way around everywhere. Okay. All right, so he would, he would be his own volleyball team, and they'd gather like 50 middle school students to come out there and play and, and try to beat him in volleyball. Okay, and obviously he'd win every time, you know. Uh, it, it, that, that, that's not what the Christian life is like. It's like watching the Holy Spirit out there win entirely on his own for you, and you're just like standing in the crowd, you know, cheering him on. That, that's not what sanctification is. Um, no, you're actually in this game. You're actually down on the court. Better yet, you are in this battle. You are, you, you're given a sword. You're, you're given a, a work to do. But it's a work that can only be accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we'll see in these verses, verses 16 to 26, the gospel frees us to a life led by the Spirit. And we'll see this in three different ways if, if you're taking notes. And, but first, let, let me just explain this idea of being led by the Spirit. We see Paul in different ways throughout these verses talks about being led or following after the Spirit. Verse 18, he actually uses that phrase, being led by the Spirit. And uh, as John Stott points out in his commentary, that Greek word for led is used of a, a farmer herding cattle or a shepherd leading sheep, a soldier escorting a prisoner to court um, or to prison. You get the idea. It's, there, there's a leader out front and there are others who are following behind him. So the Holy Spirit is your leader. And you, your responsibility is to follow him in a way in which you're living your life 
uh, to please God. Uh, this is different than the, the idea and the way in which um, some Christians will, will use the phrase uh, being led by the Spirit to refer to, like, in the moment, I felt led by the Spirit to maybe share the gospel with this person or to give that person a call, and maybe that was the exact time uh, that they needed a phone call. Um, or maybe God is leading you in the moment to give counsel, and it feels like he's really, you know, uh, is helping you along in that conversation. So, so I, I believe the Holy Spirit works like that, and we need to be sensitive to that. But that's not what Paul is talking about here when he's talking about being led by the Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit is leading us into the Word of God, into holiness and obedience. He's always doing that, and we are to always be following that lead. He uses a similar phrase in verse 16 when he says, walk by the Spirit. So walk, both in the Old and New Testament, is this idea of your, your whole way of life. So your whole way of life is by the Spirit, meaning it's, it's directed by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. And lastly, in verse 25, he uses this phrase, keep in step with the Spirit. And that phrase, keep in step, means to be drawn up in line or to be in line with. Again, John Stott, he says this, it means to walk along the path or according to the line which the Holy Spirit lays down. So all of those ideas are really the Holy Spirit's out front and, and, and we are to follow his lead as opposed to being led and directed by our flesh. So Christian, the Holy Spirit is your leader. Even when you're not following him, he's still your leader. You're just refusing to follow and the sooner that we realize that's the Holy Spirit's rightful position of leadership and authority over my life, the better life goes. Because how well does life go for you uh, when you're led? How does that go for you typically? Pretty, pretty bad. So if, if, you're fight, if you're living your life fighting against the Holy Spirit's lead, Christian, if you're living your life fighting against the Holy Spirit's leadership, you will be miserable. You are miserable. I know because I've tried it. I've tried to resist the spirit. Um, I've tried to push against him when I know he's pushing me to obedience to God. And I'm miserable when I do that. And so are you. Why do we do this to ourselves? <laughs> well, it's like, okay, I'm going to make it. I'm going to choose to make myself utterly miserable. Okay, we, we, we do this to ourselves. It, it's absolute insanity, but God offers us a better way. And that's just to let the Holy Spirit lead you and let him lead you into joy and freedom as you give him control over every area of your life. So, so think, think about your life like this. When you were saved, uh, picture your life like a house. The Holy Spirit moves in. He takes up residence, and he starts cleaning it up, okay? He, he, he gets the broom out. He, he, he gets the hammer out, the sledgehammer, and he starts cleaning and, and renovating the place. But that house is a big house, and there are lots of doors in that house, and a lot of those doors are still shut. And the Holy Spirit's role throughout the rest of your life is to get those doors open, and your responsibility is to let him open those doors. 
but we try to do this. We slam those doors shut. We lock them. We board them up. We don't want him into certain areas of our life. We're okay. Okay, yep, you could have this room, but not this one. I'm going to hold on to that one. I like that one too much. You need to open that door. Whatever that is for you, you need to unbar it. You need to unlock it. And today, let him into that door. Because as long as you keep that door shut, you will be miserable. You will not have his joy. He offers you joy. He offers you freedom if you'll just let that door open and let him come in and take control. It's what it means to be led by the Spirit. So, so when you're reading God's word and he is showing you things that you need to change, don't just keep moving along because I got to get through my Bible reading plan. Don't have time to stop on that. No, when the Holy Spirit is exposing your sin, deal with it. Open that door. Let him change you. Receive his forgiveness and begin to let him take control over that area of your life. And you'll experience his freedom. So as you are being led by led by the Spirit and following after the Spirit, here's what's going to happen. You're going you're to be fighting against your flesh. Look at verse 16. He, Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So flesh and spirit, there is this fight. There is this battle that's going on. Verse 17 says, the desires of the flesh, your sinful nature, are against the Spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So the Holy Spirit is busy at work in your life, giving you desires for good, desires for righteousness, and your flesh at the same time is busy giving you desires for sin and temptations for sin. That is always happening. Christian, your life is a civil war. That's going on and it is constantly raging. The spirit and the flesh constantly fighting to take control over your heart. And the result of that is it keeps you from doing the things you want to do. Here's how I take it and here's what I think Paul is referring to. There are times when your sinful desires are raging. But the Holy Spirit intervenes and he just won't let you do it. He, he will not let you succumb to that. There are other times, however, when you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, man, I love God today. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to seek him today. I'm going to obey him. But then you're in the middle of the day and just out of nowhere, you're tempted and you fall and you fall hard. What's going on there is your desires for, for good at that moment are then you're being tempted by your flesh and it keeps you from doing the things that you want to do, keeps you from following after the spirit. It works the other way too. So there's this constant civil war that's going on in a believer's life. But we should not, we, we should view this not in a negative way, like there's no hope. It's just gonna be like 50-50 for the rest of my life. No, no. Paul says, if you're walking by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's victory, there's hope that's attainable for you. So I I, I want to challenge you and encourage you with this. If you, 
if, you're, if it's your belief that there are certain sins in my life that I will just never gain victory over, there's just no way for that to ever happen. They're too much a part of who I am. You're failing to believe this. You're failing to believe in the power of the Spirit of God. Put it another way, you're failing to, you are believing that God is weaker than your sin. Do you really believe that? I know you don't believe that, but when you think that God can't change me here, you're saying God is weaker than that. God can't do that. He can. But you must submit to him. You must yield to him. You must follow after the Spirit and do so in the Spirit's power. Christian, I want to encourage you because, man, we, we all far too often give into our flesh. And we could feel pretty beat up. You may be here this morning just really feeling beat up by how bad this week was for you spiritually or how bad this month or this year is. And you could feel like an utter disappointment to God. But God's mercy is greater than your worst sins. He is the forgiver of the inexcusable. Okay? There are things that we do that are utterly inexcusable, and God's mercy covers those things too. So if you're here today with a weight of sin, thinking God just can't forgive me because I'm just constantly refusing his spirit, he can. He's able to forgive you and receive that mercy today through Christ. But receive this too. The Holy Spirit is greater than that sin, and he can give you victory over that sin and over your flesh. Paul then goes on and uh, he, he gives a long list of works of the flesh. And we really don't have time to go into detail about those. But there's basically four categories there um, that you could break down this, this long list of, of sins of the flesh, these, these ways in which we follow our sinful desires. The first four, first three are, are all sexual sins. So sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. The next two deal with our worship of God or failure to worship God, idolatry, sorcery. Then there's a long list of relational sins from enmity all the way down to envy. These are all ways in which our relationships break down because of our failure to love. And the last two um, deal with just this wild partying kind of life, drunkenness, orgy, probably better translated carousing, just uh, modern translation, you're a party animal, okay? So that's, so that's not meant to be exhaustive. Paul's lists are never exhaustive, but they give you uh, uh, an idea of the kinds of sins that are of the flesh. Not really, all sins are, are of the flesh. So even if you're a believer, even believers will struggle with with any number of these sins. Though, though these sins may be present in your life, they must not remain the unrepentant practice of your life. Because if they do, if your life is characterized not by following Christ, but by your sin, Paul, Paul gives you a warning here. He says in verse 21, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's not, he's not talking about a one-off doing, like if you, if you envy once, you're cut off from the kingdom. 
But if your life is, is envy, if you're described and defined by envy or any of these sins, you have, you have reason to stop and examine your life to see and to ask, am I really a believer? Am I really saved? Now, those of us who, who hold and cherish the biblical teaching that those that God truly saves, he will keep and he will hold on to them till the end. There's sometimes the temptation that we could just kind of pass over these passages as if they don't apply to us. But Paul's writing to professing believers. We need to let these, these verses land on us and to have their in intended effect on us. These, this is a real warning to professing Christians. If your life is characterized by unrepentant sin, you, you really shouldn't comfort yourself of heaven and the future kingdom of God. D.A. Carson puts it this way. The Bible provides you with rich, thick, and encouraging and bountiful assurance and promise as long as you are walking with Jesus. But it's not interested in providing you with absolute certainty when you're living in a fashion indistinguishable from the world of the flesh and the devil. At that point, instead, it gives warning and says, in effect, are you really a Christian? If so, you will repent and return. And if not, God have mercy on your soul. It would be the most unloving thing in the world for me to comfort a professing Christian whose life is lived in unrepentant disobedience to God. You have no comfort. The only comfort can be found is if you prove yourself to be a Christian and you turn in repentance and following Christ and being led by the Spirit. Have you ever experienced that when you're living in your sin and you start to wonder, man, am I even a Christian? You really start to fear, man, I must be headed to hell living like this. But when God brings you to repent and you confess that sin and you repent of it, just the assurance floods over you, all right? The forgiveness floods over you. You're like, yes, I am a child of God. And the proof of it is in your repentance, is in turning and following after Christ. And Paul, Paul follows up with these works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit and how different these lists are. Okay, from the works of the flesh to the fruit of the Spirit, here you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what the Holy Spirit is producing in, in every believer's life. So, so me and Jess have, have been talking about starting a garden from, from the moment we walked into our house, but Jess finally actually went out and, and went, got some plants. So we're actually starting our garden. It's actually just potted plants. So we're starting out small, but to go and said, hey, they're starting to grow. We got tomatoes growing. All right. And they're just, they're little green blueberry-sized tomatoes, but they're, they're there, and, and they're growing, and it's, and it's exciting. And those of you who have been gardening for years, like, okay, boring, whatever, okay. No, but that's, it's actually, it's exciting. It's really cool. It's like that was just a plant. Now there's food growing on it, okay. Um, but we should be excited about that, okay, when there's fruit in our lives, in your life, in your kids' lives, in church members' lives, because that means that the Holy Spirit's at work in them. Okay, don't, don't, don't worry about, oh, man, I wish they were, they were so much farther along. 
than, than they are right now, all right? You should be a lot further along than you are right now. Okay, I should be a lot further along. But there's fruit, and we should thank God for that. Because, and, and that's the Holy Spirit that's producing that fruit in us. Thank God when you see that in your life. Thank God when you see that in the lives of your kids and your family and your, your loved ones and, and your church. And, and pray for more. Pray for more fruit for the Spirit to produce in, in our lives. So, you have a choice today. You have hundreds of choices. In this moment, in this decision, will I be led by the flesh or by the spirit? So, if you're tempted in the moment to let your eyes wander or to lust, will you in that moment choose to follow your flesh or to follow the spirit? If your language is really a problem in your words when you're alone or with others, will you be led by your flesh or by the spirit? When your kids disobey you and you need to correct them, how are you going to do it? In that moment, are you going to be led by your flesh or are you going to be led by the spirit? When you're at work or at school and the conversation goes to gossip or just totally inappropriate joking, how are you going to respond in that moment? According to the flesh or the spirit. Maybe you battle chronic pain and the temptation is to let your thinking be dominated by the flesh. So in that moment where you're thinking, your attitude and your actions be dominated by the flesh or by the spirit. Maybe you're living toward bitterness toward someone. Will you resist your flesh and be led by the spirit and let that change the way that you're feeling and acting toward that person? I mean, this is true for every decision that we face. It, it really is that easy. I, in this moment, with this decision, be led by my flesh or by the spirit. If you're led by your flesh, you'll reap the consequences of that. But if you're led by the Spirit, you'll find his joy. You'll find his freedom. Let's have the worship team come up at this time. Let's, let's go to our God in prayer and ask for his help for us to obey and to follow his word to us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that's given to us freely when we were saved, when we were justified, we received your Holy Spirit. We thank you that he indwells us and that he's directing us, he's guiding us, he is empowering and directing us. God, as we go out from this place today, help us to go with fresh eyes of, of every decision that we're facing to either follow the flesh or to follow the Spirit. And Father, for those who are here today who don't yet know Christ, who don't yet know what it means to live a life led by the Spirit, I pray in your mercy and your grace you will bring to true so that their life today would be saved and justified and that they too would begin to follow your Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.